What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by Xfinity. This award season, Xfinity and IndieWire invite you to spend time with some of the year's biggest nominees in our award season spotlight. Each week, we're adding exclusive new videos featuring filmmakers and stars behind some of the year's most acclaimed titles. This week, listen to Gary Oldman discuss his Oscar-nominated portrayal of Winston Churchill. Find out how Best Director nominee Greta Gerwig knew that Saoirse Ronan was her ladybird. And hear why Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani say that writing their screenplay for The Big Sick was better than therapy. These interviews and many more are available right now. Just visit Award Season Spotlight on IndieWire.com. And of course, don't forget to watch the nominees before Oscar night with Xfinity On Demand. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And and we have a whole lot to discuss here, from surviving Sundance in Park City to a little thing called the Oscar nominations, which are finally a reality after we've been anticipating them for so long. So we're going to recap Sundance. We'll talk about some of our favorite films, the marketplace and all that. And then we'll break down the Oscar nominations and talk about the snubs and surprises, all that good material. How are you holding up uh, now that you're back in uh, your headquarters after Sundance? I got home yesterday. Um, my hands are chapped. Uh, <laughs> what can I tell you? It's Sounds nice to be right. back in balmy California. Um, and it was it was a really interesting festival. It was not like last year. It wasn't super... Uh, Big sick, big big sales. Um, I believe that big sick, big sales. I like you know, that. <laughs> it really wasn't like that. It was slow. They were deliberate. The buyers were deliberate, and they made the sellers crazy because the cra- they wanted all night bidding wars. And basically, what I heard was that there were very civilized pitch meetings and deliberations, and people tried to keep the the costs down um but well, we want to thing. talk about what actually, we like right well yeah what's interesting about it is it's like the whole conversation about the market if there's a really active market like there was last year or big sales we spend a lot of time just talking about that and it obscures the actual quality of the program which i think was actually very strong I and mean, i saw some really good movies and i think you did too yes so i have I plenty th- to talk about so let's let's go back and forth like maybe um uh, I'll tell. I'll give you one, and then you give me one. How's that? Sure, go for it. So the first one I saw was the one I saw before I left, which was, uh, and my it's still my favorite. It's the Tamara Jenkins Private Life Netflix movie, and the other thing that goes with that is that I ended up meeting the guys who run the indie content side for Netflix, a guy named Ian Brick and a guy named Matt Levin. 
and they uh, can greenlight movies under ten million, and they've greenlit that movie and saved it. That's a and, lot of power right there. And and they're these very unassuming, quiet guys. I had never met them before, and they also brought in that Charlie Kaufman movie that was just announced. Um, right. So right. I mean, th there is a huge. People don't realize how massive Netflix's slate is for twenty eighteen. Twenty five on this one alone, and that's separate from the big Scott Stuber. Uh, you know, the Irishman and stuff like that, or the right, exactly. or the acquisition side, which is a guy named Matt Broadley. We haven't heard what they're buying. And the other side, which is uh, documentary. So the whole thing is very large. Yeah. So, it, so it's, it, when people say, well, Netflix wasn't a big player at Sundance this year in terms of acquisitions, that doesn't mean that they don't have enough to work on outside of all this stuff. So this was one example of that. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to see it. What's your favorite? Um, but, I, I really focused on, on these things that were kind of high on my list of anticipated from the kind of research that I do beforehand, which is asking programmers, asking salespeople, pinpointing filmmakers. And so it, for me, the surprises come in less what I'm excited to see because, you know, I know what I'm excited to see and a lot of times it delivers. And it's more about, you know, how does it deliver? So a movie called Mandy, which played at midnight, this crazy Nicolas Cage movie, from a director named Panos Kosmatos, who last made a film called Beyond the Black Rainbow. Really trippy, kind of psychedelic film uh, with Nicolas Cage on, on this, uh, basically taking revenge against some guys who killed his wife. But it's, it's peak crazy Nicolas Cage. Like Nicolas Cage in a chainsaw brawl and just, you know, forging a, a sword in, in, in with, with metal in the middle of the woods and just going wild. But it elevates it to high art because it's just a beautiful film. And so it's, it's a really interesting piece of genre filmmaking that I think worked really well with the midnight crowd, but could also play on the European circuit to a very different sensibility. So that one, I'm, I'm really curious to see what will happen with it. The, the company that financed it, that, that gets behind a lot of Nicolas Cage vehicles, has this really interesting backstop deal on the film that a lot of buyers told me makes it hard to actually bid on it because it's just not great business for them. So it's an interesting movie in the sense that I think it really works for a crowd. It's definitely the kind of thing where Cage has a certain currency where people would want to see his movie, but it hasn't sold yet because it's a very specific kind of business challenge. So I'll be curious to see where it winds up, but it'll get out there one way or the other. And then the other midnight movie I really liked was from uh, a movie that A24 was supporting called Hereditary, where Tony Collette plays this woman mourning the death of her child. And uh, it's kind of a Rosemary's Baby type situation if the baby were dead. And there's a ghost element to it, and I don't want to spoil it too much, but it it really, really delivers. I mean, Sounds this really is, scary. It, it is so scary. I mean, it's scary in a way that's very elegant, you know, Kubrickian in a way. And so it'll get people talking. I think they'll make a lot of money on it, kind of like they did with The Witch. But also, it's it's a movie that is just, it's a first time filmmaker. It's it's really going to put them on the map. So so those two midnight films were really satisfying, and I think. We should also acknowledge the documentary that we both really liked, which uh, happens to do with uh, this, um, you know, folk hero of sorts. We named love Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers. So it's called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And the, I had heard it, I'd heard a lot of people telling me that it, that it was a real tearjerker. And I went to see it with my daughter and we were weeping. And so was everyone in the theater. Now, are you going to admit that you cried too, Eric? Uh, there may have been a little bit of moisture. I mean, I, 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 I'll tell you what was interesting about it is that it made me think, you know, because I, I am one of 
What's fascinating is there are several generations of people who grew up with this figure. I'm a Usually, little older. I mean, I, my, I, I basically babysat with him for right. my little brother. You were aware of uh, I certain No, he had penetrated yeah. my consciousness. The yeah, point yeah, is yeah. that this guy entered our hearts in a way that we may not have even been aware of. It, you didn't question it, right. The, this is sort of explaining to you the context. And what I think is sort of fascinating about it is, okay, one, I didn't realize that, I mean, in retrospect, it makes total sense that, that he was such a you know, Christian person who chose, instead of preaching like televangelist style, to sort of sublimate those sensibilities into more of a broader approach. So he's this kind of great unifying figure in that sense. But he also wanted to help children. That was his real goal in the whole in the And he world. had a family and, and stuff, so it he wasn't was like straight. Weird. That whole thing is checked out also that you Yeah, know, that, there, there is be... empirical evidence to that in the film. But the other thing about that is I like how it's you go into it being an adult and being aware of who this guy is, and you're cynical and you assume there's something wrong with him. Why is he so soft-spoken and calm all the time? Was, it, was, it, was he a closet case? Was he a pedophile? Was he, uh, you know, did he harbor crazy beliefs about the world or something? And the movie kind of makes you realize that this guy was keeping the peace, and we assume the worst about people, and it says more about our assumptions. I was going to say, speak for yourself, Eric. Speak for yourself. But, but I heard but, a lot of people say this kind of stuff about well, him as he's older. I, it's the context we're seeing it in now, where what he is doing is reaching for what is good and what is wholesome and what is humane and what is loving. And we're living in this hateful climate run right. with a country run by a hateful man. And it's so obvious. Uh, and the thing is that Mer Morgan Neville, the filmmaker uh, who did, you know, 20 Feet from Stardom, and, and he's, he did that great movie about the debate between uh, Buckley and uh, Vidal. Right? Yeah. So he's a good filmmaker. That's not the question. But he was smart enough to realize that this was a good subject and smart enough to recognize what some of the impact of it would be. But even he had no, was not prepared for the way that this is just slaying everyone emotionally and and he but he did consciously want to make the movie that might work with republicans in the marketplace that sure. they it, it is see uh, this. It, it is constructed in that way i mean first of all fred rogers was a he was a republican uh he, he identified as a republican and he was he was a christian man and so those two factors when you think about it are, they seem like they would be at odds with the the kind of more cosmopolitan movie going crowds, except that we accepted him at a more innocent stage of life when we weren't thinking these dogmatic terms. So it actually does have that crossover potential. And Focus, which has this movie, it's a really good get for them. They're going to take know. it out this summer. They're going to take it around all the cities, the sort of the way they did with 20 Feet from Stardom. Various people who are involved in the movie will go on the road. Um, and and I I think this could be a huge success and an Oscar contender. Now on that front, I will suggest to you that there really weren't very many Oscar contenders at Sundance, at least not so far as I saw. But uh, this one I think uh, does qualify. Yeah, and it's hard to tell with the docs because a lot of them haven't been picked up yet. Um, I didn't see. Two of the films that got picked up that, that you saw that I think were deemed more commercial, or one that has not been picked up yet, which is Juliet Naked, and the other is uh, Colette, which yeah, was picked I, up by Bleaker. Right. So Bleaker, so. Was pick, Bleaker picked up Colette with help from, from 30 West, and that whole question is an interesting story. The 30 West um, from Micah Green ended up uh, buying Neon 
uh, when some Chinese financing fell through. And so Neon was the big, the big player because they're building up their slate. They're the new kid on the block that doesn't have a lot of movies that they've already produced. And they have a hit behind them with I, Tonya. So they were able to go forward. Um, you must have seen some of those pictures. Uh, Assassination Nation, yeah? Yes, yeah, so Assassination Nation. That was the big Nation. buy. It was a big buy, it was $10, 10 million. Um, neon with the wind in its sails from this new ownership and from wanting to be a big buyer at Sundance. You have to remember the company had just launched it last year's Sundance. It was known that they were in the running for patty cakes and lost to Fox Searchlight. Probably dodged a bullet on that one because the movie it didn't did. succeed. But this was a very aggressive company trying to establish itself. Instead of establishing itself in a big way at Sundance last year, it did well with Ingrid Goes West over the summer, and then it bought Itania and had an Oscar. Uh, right out of Toronto, so they had to right. turn around so, very fast. So that accomplishment is that not accomplishment insignificant. Kind of, and that dovetails into Sundance this year, which uh, where where they go, and, and, and they, they bought a few things. They bought a film called Three Identical Strangers, which is a solid documentary about triplets separated at birth, which is very interesting, and some genre stuff. But Assassination Nation is just totally crazy. It's a, basically about... The town of Salem. It's a, it's a Heather style kind of teen thriller, dark comedy kind of vibe. But it's like the whole town gets hacked, and this one woman gets blamed for it, and all these trolls kind of come after her. And it's it's not particularly well made, but it's obviously trying to get at the zeitgeist in such an explicit way that I can see how, and it plays to a crowd. I saw it with the crowd that that cheered when a lot of the women who are being sort of uh, abused uh, verbally by the men in this community after the hack happens and all their secrets are out there, kind of get their revenge. So it plays to a crowd, it hits the and zeitgeist. It plays to and, the zeitgeist. And it, and it kind of adopts the vernacular. Lots of like memes and, and online elements, and there's a, you know, all, the, all this stuff that, that is very familiar to us right now. So I see what the play is, which is maybe this is a new kind of commercial film, not necessarily dr dr driven by star power but driven by the kinds of sensibilities of young people who want to go see movies. So there is it's a bit great. of a split this year between the younger demo and the older demo. So in the older demo, I would put Juliet Naked, which, by the way, has about five buyers bidding on it. It's a question of the, the filmmakers and the producers weighing uh, which which buyer which is the best deal for them? So that's an that these are the these are the questions that weigh on people's minds, and of course it's not as much money as as they would have of of liked uh, apparently. And then well, the, and people are being careful. Yeah, they're being much more careful. Juliet yeah. Naked, I loved. I really loved this movie. It's uh, Nick Hornby. It's Chris O'Dowd as this sort of uh, fan of this older. Uh, retired uh, rocker, pop star, folk star, uh, played by Ethan Hawke, and then, um, but his wife is sort of a sad sack, Rose Byrne, not happy, not thrilled, not fulfilled, and she gets into a correspondence with the uh, Ethan Hawke character, and there ends up being this sort of um, uh, dalliance uh, that develops. And it's very, very interesting. And it's a, it's about how you put people on a pedestal. It's about fandom, and it's about what's the difference between. And this comes up in a couple of places: reality versus fiction. The other place is uh, this wonderful movie, Eighth Grade, um, which A24 has. Uh, did you see that one? 
I saw it's great. Yeah, it's a really, really um, solid debut. It's not it's that that Bo one Burnham. I would manage expectations. Yeah, Bo Burnham, who's sort of this YouTube star about a decade ago, it's his first feature. I think he did a good job with it. It's like a more benevolent welcome to the dollhouse. That was sort of my takeaway. No, really strong performance. No, 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 absolutely. No, absolutely. No, no, no. no, it is. It is. I, I'm telling you why the, this this uh, this description works. It doesn't works have the darkness. So you do say benevolent, it, benevolent, but it, it doesn't have, and it's very list, differently shot. No, it's it's it, all it is, about the internet. It's all about no, close-ups well, of this girl. Look, welcome to the dollhouse came out 20 years ago. If it came out today, it absolutely would deal with the internet. The whole point of this movie is that the internet allows people, young people now that have an escape from reality in which they can construct a new version of themselves. And here you have a girl who is, is socially awkward at a very specific stage of her life in elementary, in, in, in middle school. And uh, she does the, these YouTube posts where she, she kind of projects a more confident version of herself. So and when you saw this movie, I'm just curious, gender aside, is there... Is there a 12-year-old Eric that somehow identified with Kaylee in this movie? Is there a part of you that responded to her with, with recognition and, and horror? Because and, and, I sort of walked out of the movie very close to my 12-year-old Kaylee self. I, I felt it. I don't know if I did. I mean, I had a lot of conversations with people who have kids now. Uh, around that age and, and ask them how the hell you can let them have smartphones because of the stuff that this woman Not is able to do. Not a whole lot do. you can do about it, I really. mean, it's just, it's a, but, but I think it's interesting. That and Assassination Nation are both really about how the internet is just completely changing what um, American youth experience and how they, how they learn about the world. I mean, it's sort of like you're seeing illustrated in the movies this dramatic shift in the way that people grow up. So yeah, I don't this know wasn't, if I can really This wasn't, it. you know, this isn't news to, to me, and I do I do have a daughter, although phones were not prevalent uh, so much um, when she, she had was the 12 internet. years old. But, uh, yeah, she did. But but the but the, the way that um, there's a scene in this movie, and by the way, you know who else had a good Sundance was this guy Josh Hamilton, who plays her father in this movie and he's so good he's so good in this movie there's one scene that just slayed me a father-daughter scene where they actually talk to each other and she actually reaches out to him um, after sort of putting him off the whole time and then there's a whole um, movie called Blaze that Ethan Hawke uh, wrote and directed that is based on a true um, country singer named uh, Blaze Foley out of the Austin scene who's who's now dead and he found this guy, Ben Dickey, to uh, take him on and, and act. He's a musician. It's sort of like Inside Lewin Davis. You know, it's that kind of thing where it's, it's the, but, the, but it's real music that this guy is performing and he's acting this real character. And, um, and the, there's this guy who's in it also, Josh Hamilton, again, you know, along with uh, Charlie Sexton and um, Shawkat, Arya Shawkat, Aaliyah Shawkat, she is amazing, it's a real romance as well, and, and to Ethan Hawke's credit, he made it very scruffy and real, and didn't glamorize it at all, and he has a certain musical gift, so he was able to, to pull this off, I think, and I think we'll find out that that was a sale um, as well. Yeah, well, uh, you would assume, I, I missed this one, but, I, but I'm very curious about it, I've, I've enjoyed his as a director in the past. So and then the know. other one, Colette, is sort of the standard older audience also. Blaze will yeah. be an older audience. Eighth grade, it could be younger audience. Oh, and, yeah. 
And then the sure. other, the uh, the Colette, the good thing about that, Kira Knightley and um, Dominic West are really well paired as the, the, the husband and wife. And he takes advantage of her writing and, and, and puts it under his name. It's sort of like big eyes. Um, and, and, and so you, you end up uh, watching her grow up and find her own identity and find her own sexuality as a lesbian as well. And so that becomes really uh, dramatic. And Karen, Karen Knightley's very good. I like this movie. I did. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll catch up with it. It doesn't sound like, quote unquote, my kind of movie, but that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that it won't work for me if I have a reason to So what to did you think of The Boots Riley? Oh, that is a movie. I mean, look, I, it's hard to come up with a list of favorites in a year with so many different kinds of movies to talk about, right? I mean, is uh, Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley's debut film, this hip-hop artist uh, making his first feature of the script he's been working on for a long time, is it the best piece of filmmaking there? It's not the most cohesive movie, but it is astonishingly uh, rich with ideas. I mean, it's, it's a satire with... Like Keith Stanfield is this telemarketer who realizes, thanks to his coworker played by Danny Glover, that if he uses a white voice on the phone, uh, he can get more sales. But here's the thing. I knew that going in. I thought he would just imitate a white voice. He's actually dubbed by David Cross. So all of a sudden, he starts talking, and you hear David Cross's voice, and Weird. he becomes very successful. It's really wacky, but it's also incredibly visionary. And that, that is just the first act. You, it winds up in this final uh, chapter, which I really can't spoil too much, but it involves Army Hammer as this like evil corporate figure and a scheme he has to take over the world. And it's so outlandish and wild. When you see it, you will never see it coming. And it's a real conversation point. So I'm, it's cool that, that Annapurna is taking a risk on this movie. I think it's, it's, it's kind of in that Dear White People vein where it's a, a sort of a racial satire that, that's really outrageous but has a very fresh voice. So that was an, a neat one, definitely. Definitely one that I think we will remember this year, Sundance, as launching this filmmaker and launching this movie into the world. And I'm curious to see, assuming that they do put it out in the summer as, as what I've heard they, they plan to do, and what kind of a life it has theatrically. It's not an awards movie, that's for sure. But not, not nor, an obvious one, but we live in unpredictable time. So, so uh, speaking of which, maybe we should talk about those Oscar predictions. All right. They land in the middle of the festival like such a... Uh, a thud. You know, shock. Yeah. No, yeah. It was, it, I would say that the biggest surprise of all... I mean, I was a little disappointed that The Big Sick didn't do better and only got one writing nomination. But, of course, they needed to get we that. We knew that so would I was glad they would get that. And the, you know, the other writing nominations that had to happen were Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig, but they went on to get directing and picture and lots of other things as well. The one that was the surprise that really nobody was prepared for was Phantom Thread doing as yeah. well. Yeah, how it did. cool is that? With directing he, and picture. And, and PTA doesn't even campaign, really. And Leslie Manville. So, you know, that really... And I was sorry that Holly Hunter didn't get in, but delighted that Leslie Manville did because I, I just didn't think that would happen. Right. It's a great performance, but it's like you look back in her career and it's like, well, why not for, you know, another year or something like that? But this movie, Which is part I of think how that happens. The, the yeah. actors in the Academy know that. So it's right. good. It's good. And also, they lean into, you know, in the end, you look back and you go, OK, that's a classy movie. They leaned into the auteur, you know, they went for yeah. it. Yeah, well, that's that's what I say. I mean, I think it's kind of great that so you look at focus center on all these kind of canned reactions from their winners. They didn't send around a PTA reaction <laughs> because he's too cool for that. I mean, I, I love that. It's like, 
it is a really pure set of nominees. I mean, Jordan Peele worked really hard, and the story of Get Out in the one-year cycle from its Sundance premiere to right, to right. moment is, but but big sick too, still, those two, yeah. But and and Greta, but certainly Get Out is an unor the most unorthodox movie to have so many nominations in recent memory, well, right? Well, I've, been, I've and, been talking to a lot of people about this who are now speculating about what's going to happen with Best Picture, and as you you know, there is a generational. Um, thing where it, you know there are a lot of people who want Lady Bird or Get Out, you know, to to win over over Shape of Water or, or Dunkirk, and right. and I really I really think that it, or and it's really strange how all of a sudden Three Billboards has sort of vanished from the conversation. He didn't even get nominated for director, McDonough. Well, um, let's be honest. It's not vanished. It got some good nominations. No, it did very it's well. A, it's just that it's like not, that. I, I'm saying vanished from the conversation about will it win Best Picture. Picture, right. You know, yeah, I mean, just, I, suddenly I you see it that it has weaknesses. It's not, yeah. it's not it as does. strong. It, it has more weaknesses in, in the sense that it is, it is a, it is a, I think it's a very enjoyable movie. Me too. I enjoyed it, but you I didn't get, put it on my 10 best list. But if you get, I would say if you get five people in a room who uh, have seen all those movies, uh, Nine of them, by the friends. way. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you were more likely to find a couple people who, who didn't respond at all to three billboards and it's fewer divisive. people. But, like and, and, but the shape of water is divisive also. That's the thing. So, so it's yes. so interesting to me. I, I, I was arguing with, with my daughter about this. She thinks that the shape of water is like an old-fashioned Hollywood movie. And well, it kind of is. And, I, and, is, I, and I, I think it is in a good way. Um, but it's also remarkable it's in the way it's, that it that it combines all of these different genres, romance well, yeah. and fantasy. How many movies do you have with a mute I, cleaning I, lady I making love totally to a agree. merman? I, it's 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 pure unfiltered Guillermo aesthetic, and and the fact that it is nominated for a bunch of awards is pretty more great. More than anything else, thirteen. But I also would say that I, that a movie like Get Out and even Lady Bird, because of how crisp it is. But those two really feel like they are the fresher movies. They, we've we've we're lived talking with Guillermo generational Toro, here. Film, we are but we've talking lived with Guillermo as a great filmmaker with a great vision since the nineties. I mean, Shape of Water is funneling some of the aesthetic proclivities that he has uh, really established for a long time. I mean, it's not like this movie came out of nowhere. If it's his time, maybe that's part of the conversation too. Okay, like we so we before. could all agree, I think, that Guillermo del Toro is probably the front runner for best director. Finish that Three Amigos uh, Exactly. But we also, and it's also the movie of scale and scope along with Dunkirk. And by the way, my love of Darkest Hour my prediction that it would win six nominations turned out to be true. <laughs> now the question is, what's it? What could it actually win? Is Barry, Barry Aldman. truly? Is he? I mean, what you know? The stories about his past are those going to continue to gain? I don't see as much you know? traction there as there obviously was for James Franco. And of course, the word on the street is that there's even more coming about James Franco. And obviously, that word did filter out in time, apparently, for it to affect. His nomination, although Seems the screenplay so. got nominated, which I think I mean, it was it was a surprise that that movie was, uh, you know, getting, you it's know, he comedy. was campaigning. That's well, a scruffy but, comedy. Yes. Yeah. So it may not have been in there anyway. But um, but Denzel Washington getting in, that was a surprise. Uh, 
for that ridiculous because movie. Because it was a, it not, it was really not a good movie. And I even looked it up again on Metacritic. It's like fifty-one or something like that. I mean, that is yeah. not Oscar territory. It's a, it's a little embarrassing, honestly, that that. Well, it's a, it's, like, it's a sign of how popular he is. Um, yeah, I know. and and how beloved. So I, so I wonder if they'll make there. a joke about it at the series. The joke writes itself. Like, how many people actually saw Roman J. Israel? You know, something like that. He'll probably right, just, right. Yeah, but, and uh, and so you you could. You, I would say that the the real dark horse, if you like, in the Oscar race is Dunkirk. <laughs> yes, the there one that started out as the front it could runner. Win, it could win nothing, or it could win a lot. It could win a lot because it just you know it's really it's really strong, and it, it got a lot of it. It looks weaker than it is because it doesn't have any actors. It's like spotlight in that sense. It's a it's an ensemble, so none of those people got nominated for best actor or supporting actor or anything. But it's not a sign of weakness. It's just a sign that it's an ensemble. So among the snubs, we have. Probably the most notable one in terms of something we've talked about all year is Michael Stuhlbarg, a very visible and respected actor whose monologue in Call Me By Your Name was a key talking point. He wasn't nominated for SAG. He wasn't nominated for Golden Globes. And he was probably knocked out by Army Hammer. The two of them probably split the vote. Now, Woody Harrelson and Sam Rockwell both got in because they had enough votes. But these two didn't. I think that's too bad because I like Woody Harrelson in, in Three Billboards, but I, but I think that Stuhlbarg is so much more worthy of recognition in this context. He was one of, of the, among the people who are campaigning in this season. He was one of the few who was at Sundance this year with other stuff. Yes, was, he was. He's just kind of out there. You know, he's like a very pure actor. Yes, who, he is. I mean, he we'll wears all of his emotions on and his sleeve. And he'll be fine. He'll be fine. But I don't feel too bad for him, but it's it's interesting. You know, if, if you had somebody like a Chalamet getting snubbed or something, that would have been really dramatic considering how much work they put into it, what the expectations are. This one, it, it kind of makes sense, but it, it also registers as a snub. And then the other one that stood out to me was the foreign language category, which I know you said this movie was maybe playing the more divided crowds, but I thought Foxtrot was a movie that everybody loved. It's it must have been movie. one of the ones that was put in by the committee. I heard a lot of people didn't like it, and they didn't like the politics of it, or they didn't understand That's the politics. Stupid. Whereas so this stupid. other political one, uh, the insult, everybody seems to understand perfectly. So which is it, not it went even through. nearly as good. I'm sorry, but the insult, which is a it's a, very a good. You liked nice it before movie. you saw Foxtrot. Now you've oh, decided Foxtrot that Foxtrot is, is better. I saw I saw both of them at Telluride. I thought the insult was. I, it, not nearly as good as that film, because like previous film, The Attack, it's sort of it's got this allegorical dimension that I thought was a little heavy-handed. Whereas Foxtrot is so brilliantly conceived, it's it's nuanced, it's unexpected. You know what but the insult I, I is, know. though. It's one of those things. It's a little parable of something bigger that is universal, and I think people really respond to it because of that. It's it's yeah. about how everybody's so divided. Obvious. That's such an obvious message. But but I will say that I, I'm I'm really happy to see a fantastic woman get in. I have to assume that's, that's the front, the front runner. runner now. The uh, the what you're, I I I think that Foxtrot not getting in is much less surprising, um, actually, than in the fade not getting. Ah uh, yes. There you have big... the Oscar, you know, the uh, best actress winner from Cannes, as well as the winner of the Golden, Golden Globes and the yeah. winner of a Critics' Choice. So I was a little is, yeah. shocked by that. It, it was the, you think it was the most accessible accessible film because it was very emotionally familiar. You know, this woman whose whose family is killed in a terrorist attack going through the process like you watch it you get that movie whereas now we're talking about a front runner that's a, a a very very much an observational film about a transgender woman 
but I think that's it speaks it's to where most, we are. Culturally. I haven't seen On Body and Soul, so I'm going to look forward. That's the Hungarian film set it's, in a it's, slaughterhouse. It's, it's interesting. It's quirky. It's a very. It's it's a. I suppose once you see it, you might have some opinions about it. I mean, it's. I remember seeing it when it premiered in Berlin last year. It's it's not a film I would have expected to stay in the conversation so long because it's it's very quiet and strange. Um, but uh, but it's 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 solid. So this is not a bad year. In, no, in they even did those well. Guys. They had a brand new set of um, a, a, of of a way of voting, and, and they opened it up to way more people. Uh, for the first time, they had international members of the academy able to vote online from and watch the move the nine candidates from you know streaming. And they all, as a, in, a, in addition to opening up New York, London, and San Francisco to more people as well, so and, and L.A. So it was not just 40 people. It was way bigger than that. And that's why I think we were all a little surprised by the, by the results. All right. So before we go, let's just address briefly what happens now. Because there are rules in terms of how people can behave. It's not like an election where, you know, Timothy Chalamet can go knock on your door and ask for your vote. You know, or send an automated. Well, phone they don't call. have. You're not so. allowed to have any parties anymore. That's in the first phase. Right. It's, it's kind of. You had to have down. a screening attached to a party in the first phase, but you could wine and dine, and and get people to come that way. So now it's all very pure, and and it's all about going to the screenings and and seeing the movies and and uh, and and we have another month. I mean, it's not until March fourth the Oscars. Right. Exactly. We have a so ways people to will go. be out there. Plenty to dig through, and I'm sure more stories that we'll. Also, there today. was a there was a big uh, gaff, I thought, in the documentary branch voting. Oh yes, uh, where we Jane was, which 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 you know won the PGA, I think, or no, that hasn't happened yet. It it's it's been a favorite in all sorts of different groups, and it it is so um, surprising to me that that movie didn't get in. Apparently, well, it had to do with the fact that it was archival footage. Um, partly, you know, that the, and it was looked it, at it as was an a editing introduction, job. And I have to point out that I think the slot that could have been the Jane slot is Strong Island, which went to this uh, wonderful film, Strong Island. Um, Netflix uh, movie with this transgender filmmaker named Yancey yeah. Ford. Yeah, and, and his story Very personal memoir. Sort of investigating his brother's murder. I mean, this is Obviously, Netflix campaigned well for the film. It's and they got, got Icarus too. behind it. Yeah. And, and Icarus. So, but but I think I think Strong Island was the slot because a lot of people thought the Strong Island was too much of a personal film or a small film. I predicted Strong Island, and I it predicted um, that that it would get in the one because it pops. It has a you know Yancey Ford is a very powerful presence in the movie and on the circuit, and and you can't help but but sort of remember it and respond to it. Um, I think the the one that's the surprise was Steve James Abacus. Well, he's never been nominated, which is crazy for one of America's great documentary filmmakers. From Hoop Dreams and, on, he has been yeah, snubbed, this and movie so he is, finally came through for him. It's not his best movie, but at least he finally got a nomination. Which for a guy like that, it's kind of like whatever it takes. And then so. there were two Syrian movies. One I thought was a shoe in, which was Matt Heineman's City of Ghosts, the guy who directed Cartel Land, and the other was Last Men in Aleppo, which is also very good, very different. But about the same thing, and it was Last Men in Aleppo that turned out to be the winner. 
Well, it, I mean, it, it sounds like it's the one that's actually on the ground there. Indeed, it's the real so people at the scene. Right. So next week, um, I guess we'll, we'll revisit the race. We'll see how things are developing, what kind of conversations you're hearing around town, all that kind of stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk about Black Panther. We'll take a look at the Sundance winners and, and how that's sort of kind of finalized our understanding of that festival. And, you know, maybe there's some other interesting stuff going on that we have no idea about. It's nice to get Sundance behind us and have a, a kind of a, a couple of weeks of unpredictable events before we finally get to the Oscars. So I hope you rest up well in and uh, we'll touch base soon. Next week. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.